Hello and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 19. Thanks for listening. Welcome back everybody. It's Wednesday night again, so I'm recording another podcast. We're rapidly approaching summer as I record this. Kids are getting out of school, the adults find it even harder to go to work than it normally is, and life weather-wise is actually pretty good. But how's life in Atari land? Well, I'll tell you. It pains me to open the new segment of this week's show with a grievance. A, well, grievance is an overstatement. A, a disappointment. Uh, I am a little sad today. Atari, the company that has given all of us so much joy for so many years, has let me down. They have stolen my bit. What am I referring to? A recent article I read that says Atari, in conjunction with Emmett Furla Oasis Films, are teaming up to produce and finance two feature films based on the classic Atari game Centipede Missile Command. We've done Centipede on the show. Uh, Missile Command was one of my favorite games as a kid, uh, although I haven't done it on the show yet. And now Atari and these movie producers are going to make movies based on these video games. The article talks about how there are a lot of movies based on video games these days, but not many based on the old games, like these old Atari games. Because, as the article notes, while video game-based movies are common in Hollywood, other upcoming examples include Assassin's Creed, Warcraft, and Tomb Raider. Properties like Centipede and Missile Defense... That's interesting. Missile Command is the name of the game. Is it maybe called Missile Defense in another country? I don't know. Someone tweet at me and tell me the answer to that. Properties like Centipede and Missile Defense are less obvious candidates for adaptation because they don't offer much in the way of story or characters. Exactly. That's my bit. I have a whole podcast devoted to giving story and characters to games like Missile Command and Centipede that don't have story or characters. They stole my bit. I tweeted at Atari today telling them that I'm a writer, I've written plays, I blog, I come up with a story every week on this podcast, I've published some short short stories, short stories is a really hard thing to say, even when you're sober, I published a novel years ago in the St. Nick of Time, which I will probably plug more uh, when it gets closer to Christmas, they should totally hire me to write one or both of these screenplays. So I tweeted at Atari today telling them just that. Now, I'm not saying that you all, my loyal cadre of listeners, legions strong that you are, I'm not saying that you should start an aggressive Twitter campaign to get me hired as a screenwriter for one of these movies, or both. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm totally saying you should start a really aggressive Twitter campaign to get me hired as a screenwriter for one or both of these movies, because that would be awesome. So... I think that's settled then. I'll see you at the Oscars. What else is new? Speaking of Twitter, or maybe it was Facebook. I'm not sure which one I saw this at. But uh, I saw a link somewhere to a website called wallpapercave.com that has different, you know, computer wallpapers. And they had a bunch of really cool Atari-related ones. You know, back when I still liked Atari. I'm kidding. I love you, Atari. Totally hire me. We'll do lunch. Anyway. Uh, wallpapertave.com had some nice Atari-themed wallpapers, so go check those out. Movie news. I haven't talked about movies for a while. Uh, I've been busy doing other stuff. 
I think it was actually right around the time I recorded last week's episode uh, 18, Pitfall, which was a lot of fun. I think these two trailers that I'm going to mention actually came out around then, but I hadn't seen them yet, so I didn't talk about them. The Star Trek Beyond trailer, second one, I guess, was out, and it's uh, okay, I guess. I don't know. The first J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot movie was fun. I had a good time. I thought they were spot on with the characterizations, except one that I'll mention. I thought it felt true to the next... I was going to say the next generation. I meant true to the classic series while still bringing it forward to modern day. I was okay with rebooting the universe by, you know, resetting the timeline and all that. Star Trek Into Darkness was a train wreck of a movie that I think pretty much everybody agrees on. And Star Trek Beyond just doesn't... The trailers are fine, I guess, but they're not really grabbing me. And couple that with all the stories coming out about trouble, uh, you know, trouble in the writing, trouble in the production, going back and adding scenes at the last minute. It doesn't bode well for a good movie. The second trailer seemed to be trying to recall the old days of the Star Trek series and the first six movies, which were very heavy on the Spock, McCoy, Kirk relationship. And the second trailer uh, spends a lot of of its limited time, especially on the the McCoy and, and Kirk relationship. And that's uh, and that's nice. I mean, that's one of the things that I liked about the original series. But I still kind of have a problem with Chris Pine's Captain Kirk portrayal. He's got a tough job. It's hard to do Captain Kirk without doing a William Shatner impersonation. And obviously he doesn't want to do that. But if you don't do that, you end up with a pretty bland Captain Kirk. And that's kind of what happen, has happened here, I think, in these movies. Which, to my mind anyway, is probably why in Into Darkness, Spock kind of took over as the hero. Because, frankly, in, in the Abrams universe of the Star Trek movies, Spock is way more interesting than Kirk is. So, that's unfortunate. But, you know, I'm still a Star Trek fan. So I have hopes that Beyond will be beyond my expectations. Ah, I should be a movie critic. The other trailer I saw recently was for the new MacGyver TV show reboot. I gotta admit, I was sort of skeptical that it was actually going to happen, because they've been talking about this for years. But I guess when they have a trailer, that makes it somewhat more likely that the show's actually going to make it onto the air. Whether it'll last or not, of course, remains to be seen. And I gotta say that the trailer was not awful. It looked kind of fun. It's never going to be the MacGyver I grew up with, but, you know, that's okay. If it's still a fun, good show, true to the ideas, to the ideals of the original MacGyver, you know, the, the, the do-gooder who doesn't like guns and uses his brain more than his fist to get out of problems, um, you know, I can get behind that. The kid, the guy, who's playing the new MacGyver, apparently he's in his 20s. He doesn't look like he's going to be sort of the typical TV, you know, super clever, sassy, annoying, good-looking dude. He looks like, uh, certainly a fine-looking dude, but he seems a little more down-to-earth, a little more closer to the MacGyver that we would remember from the old days. Uh, I'm a little troubled. They didn't come out and say it, but there was some hint in the trailer that maybe this guy is the son of the previous MacGyver, 
Richard Dean Anderson. And I, I don't think I like that idea. Just make this MacGyver his own guy. Just make it a reboot, not a son of MacGyver kind of thing. And I'll be happy. So, hopefully we'll have more to talk about with MacGyver uh, in the fall. Let's see, what else is new? Oh! Speaking of uh, me being a writer, if you're still listening, I know you probably left uh, the podcast for a minute to go start tweeting at Atari about my screenwriting cred. Uh, But once you come back, you'll hear me say that I'm actually doing some writing. You know, sort of warming up for the screenplay gig. Today, as I record this, I dusted off the blog. I used to blog fairly regularly before I got a podcast, and I've decided to put a post up. It's just a fun little thing. It's short. Basically, I was sitting there watching TV and I realized that the Will Forte sitcom Last Man on Earth has essentially the same premise and plot plots of the episodes as the preschooler show on Disney Junior called Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And I kind of outline how that works in this goofy little blog post that I put up today. So, check that out. Uh, the blog is at Pepper at wordpress.com. Something like that. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's been so long since I used it, I can't I can't quote the uh, the blog name off the top of my head. That's sort of weird. But yeah, it's Pepper at wordpress. So, I'll put a link in the show notes and you can just ignore my little brain fart. Can you say brain fart on a podcast? I guess you can. It's a podcast, right? You can say whatever you want. Alright, what I want to say right now is the name of this week's game. It's a good one. This week we're playing Berserk, 1980 Stern Electronics game. Uh, this was another go-to game for me as a kid. I really liked this game for different reasons than like the Activision games. I've said many times the Activision games are, at least in my experience, pretty uniformly awesome. Play is fun, then they look great. The stuff on screen really looks like what it's supposed to be. Berserk is not one of those games. It's not an Activision game. It's not a game with really, really awesome graphics. In fact, they're very basic graphics. You kind of know the robots are robots, and you know you're in it. They call it a maze. I wouldn't call it a maze. It's pretty obvious how to get in and out of the rooms that you're in. But they're just black rooms with colored bars indicating the walls. Pretty basic stuff. But the gameplay is so fun that you don't care about that. It's just a good time to play it. And playing it is addictive. It's hard not to keep hitting the reset button and playing over and over again. Like eating potato chips or Doritos. You can't stop at just one. This week's episode brought to you by Doritos. Yummy. Alright. Now is the time in the program when we read from the manual. Okay. So I have my actual paper manual from when I was a kid and I am going to read the gameplay section. Note, Berserk is for one player only. So if you have friends, tell them to go home because they can't play. Your challenge in Berserk is to score as many points as possible without being destroyed yourself in some game variations. Wait, I think I kind of totally ignored punctuation there. Your challenge in Berserk is to score as many points as possible without being destroyed yourself, period. In some game variations, you must elude the robot's expert aims and escape Evilado. When you tweet at Atari about me writing their screenplay, don't tell them that I screwed up the reading punctuation. Use your joystick controller to maneuver your man through the maze, but don't touch the walls or a robot 
you'll electrocute him. Press the red controller fire button to shoot your laser gun at the robots. You score points for every robot that is destroyed. You score bonus points when all robots in a maze are destroyed. Whether they are struck by your laser, pummeled by evil Otto, hit by other robot lasers, they collide with each other. That doesn't make any sense. And it's not my fault this time. Pummeled by evil Otto, comma, hit by other robot lasers. Oh, there's another comma. They collide with each other or run into electrified walls. Each maze ends when your man perishes or escapes. In games where the robot shoot, they never start firing until the second maze. This gives you a chance to become familiar with the game initially. Robots move and shoot slower than your man, but with each consecutive maze up to the 16th maze, the robot's movements and firing speeds gradually increase. At maze 16, the robots reset to move slowly again, gradually increasing speed with each maze. I guess they get tired or something? But their firing speeds remain equal to your man's from here until the game ends. Oh, okay. They don't move all that quick, but they can fire like mofos. You begin the game with three lives. Lives that remain will flash briefly at the bottom of the screen. Off-centered remain at the bottom will flash at the bottom of the screen, off-centered to the right, just before a new maze appears. You will lose a life if you are one, hit by a robot's laser, two, run into the electrified wall of the maze, three, get caught by Uvalado in certain game variations. You can earn extra lives. Using the controllers, uh, use the joystick, plug it in. And my favorite part of the instruction manual, hold the controller with the red fire button to your upper left toward the television screen. Man, I can't read tonight for anything. Use the left controller jack for this one player game. And it has a little diagram that shows you how the joystick moves and moves your guy in the corresponding direction. Console controls, game variations. I'm not going to read all of these to you other than to note that there are 12 game variations. Number 12 being the children's version. Uh, which is the easiest version for your kid to play. The variations vary. Um, sometimes Otto's there, sometimes he's not. Sometimes you can destroy him, sometimes you can't. Different levels have different uh, a different number of points that you have to get to get another life. Some of the variations, you can't get any more lives. You know, stuff like that. Um, just to give you a heads up, in the field report tonight, I played game three where you win a new life every thousand points. You'll need all the lives you can get because in this game, Evil Auto is invincible and the robot stalks you with their lasers. Also, what I had forgotten before I did the field report is Evil Auto comes out like halfway through you finishing off the robots in a particular maze. I had always remembered they came out at the end as you were trying to leave, but no, he comes out basically whenever he feels like it. And that's kind of annoying. Life is hard being annoyed by a video game. Scoring. Your score is determined by the number of robots that are destroyed. Whether you shoot a robot or it is eliminated by other means, you receive points for every pulverized robot. I don't know if I call it pulverized. Pulverized to me sounds like you dropped a boulder on it and it got smushed. They basically get electrified or sizzle after you shoot them with your laser. So I don't know if I like the word pulverized. Oh well. You'll earn bonus points when all the robots in a single maze are annihilated. Occasionally you will meet a super strong robot who is merely stunned by your first shot. Be brave, it will take a second hit to destroy this tough enemy. Once you begin to score points, your score will appear at the bottom of the screen, off-centered to the right, as shown in Figure 5. When all robots in a maze are destroyed, your score disappears and your bonus points flash on the screen, off-centered on the left, as shown. The computer automatically combines all points and your total score is displayed in the next maze. You can score a maximum of 999,000. 999 points before the score rolls back to zero. I gotta tell you, I never achieved that. 
If any of you did, I want to hear it so that I can call you a bit fat liar, because I can't imagine that anyone's ever done this. Remember, in game variations where the robot shoots back, they never commence firing until the second maze. This will enable you to learn the maze. Again, they're being way generous with the term maze. If you look at the screen, there's nothing maze-like about this place. But beginning with the second maze, you will no doubt find it more challenging to survive and continue scoring high points. Then it gives a breakdown of how the points are scored, uh, strategy, and helpful hints. When you first start playing the tougher Berserk variations, games in which the robots shoot and Evil Auto is invincible, you may feel there's no way to survive. Don't despair! And, by the way, if you're despairing over an Atari video game, you may want to seek professional help. The following are some strategies, strategies you can use to stay alive longer, score more points, and even escape the dread Evil Auto. And it gives you a long list of strategies. Basically has to do with things like keeping your finger on the fire button as you move from maze one maze to another. Gives you some tips about influencing the robot's movement. You can influence them by your movement, causing them to shoot at and collide with each other or run into walls. That is kind of handy if you figure out how to do that. When robots shoot on the vertical, it is from the left side. You can position your man above or below them on the right side, where they can't hit you, but you can blast them. And that is kind of neat. Oh, yeah, I'll mention one more. There's a special horizontal laser beam wraparound feature that will help you destroy robots in mazes that have a right and a left exit. You can stand just inside the right exit and shoot through it. I'd forgotten that. I remember doing that as a kid, but the little bit that I've been playing it this week uh, to get ready for the podcast, I'd totally forgotten to try that. That's kind of cool. I do remember that as a kid, though. And there's some other helpful hints and strategies, but I won't bother reading those right now because I'm a podcaster and I know everything already. Okay, well, so we read all of the manual, the instructions, and the gameplay, and... Oh my god! This manual has a story in it! Oh, I'm so happy! Oh, chapter one of the manual, Going Bonkers with Berserk. It's story time, gang! Get your jammies and your hot cocoa, both of which would be a little weird at the end of May. But, you know, you do you. It's story time. The Astro Date is 3200. It's nice to know that Astro the dog from the Jetsons got work. The Astro date is 3200 and you are the last survivor of a small group of Earth people who came to explore the planet Mazion. Soon after landing you discovered the planet is a dark, apparently uninhabitable place. But by then it was too late to turn back because your spacecraft had been destroyed by Automazians. Now you are a prisoner here. You are trapped in a maze where even the walls are death to touch. Grim robot thugs, known as Automazians, stalk you relentlessly, and you must systematically pulverize them with your laser gun before they eliminate you with theirs. Again, pulverize? Really? You are never safe on the planet Mazion. Even when you've destroyed the mechanical heavies, Evil Otto, the mad and merciless mind between the robot gangs, leaps out from where he's been observing the battle. You flee in panic because you know that you cannot kill Evil Otto and that, once he catches you, you'll never escape. How do you know this? You're the last survivor of Earth, and you came to explore this planet. You don't know anything about this planet. How do you know who Evil Otto is? Anyway, he, meaning Evil Otto, will pound you to a lifeless pulp. Wow, way to sell it, Atari. Grinning like a maniac all the while, your only hope is to get out of the electrified maze before Evil Otto catches you. If you do get out, you find yourself in another maze. Eh, that's life, kids. You get out of one maze, you end up right back in another. Again, the faceless robots shoot at you. Again, Evil Otto pursues you. Again, you must dodge and shoot and run. 
into yet another maze. It's enough to drive you bonkers. Yeah. The unrelenting torment of life is enough to drive you bonkers, all right. Wow. That's kind of a bleak story there, Atari. You guys having a bad day when you wrote this? Well, all right. I'm going to go take some Prozac and try to will myself to play this game. Nah, I'm just kidding. Berserk is awesome. I can't wait. After this break, we jump into the field report. jumpsuit or jumpsuit they offered me the jumpsuit but I said no way man they took away my shoes my belt they issued me my laser gun which seems like an odd prison reform plan but who knows how these automazians think it's up to me alone to survive now my crew is gone all right Let's do this. Pew, pew. I guess if I walk around going pew, pew, I don't sound very tough in the prison yard. Otto! I forgot that I put it on game three, which features Evil Otto. There he is. You turkey. Very short field report. As much as I love the Activision games, a really good Atari game doesn't need fancy graphics if it's just fun to play. Berserk just has a very simple grid maze kind of thing, very basic looking robots, but it's incredibly fun to play. Darn it, Otto! Now you made me kill myself. I like doing the fancy trick shots where I kind of shoot at an angle. Slipping out before Otto gets me. Oh. Ooh, that was close. Almost got a haircut with that robot's laser. field report. Uh, run away! I like how the little pink dude's legs move independently of his body. It's like I'm trying to swim, fight swimming upstream like a salmon. He's pink. I really like the little laser sound too. Mm. 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 Mm.
once more. There was a short reborn. I had another life. I forgot that. How do I get up there? I can't. Not before Otto comes out. There he is. Yes. I left robots behind, but I live to fight another day. Darn it, Otto. Another life. Secret to life is getting another life. This guy. Yes. Ha. It's kind of creepy how when the robots get blown up, you see through just a split second the image of Evil Auto. Well, that was lucky. One robot shot another robot. That's the only reason I'm still alive. <sighs> I wonder if I could do the next thing. Whoa! Your little pink dude has a gap between his head and his shoulders where the neck would be. Well, he's dying. Well, died in prison. Just dead was right. Back to you in the studio. Whenever I play this game, I really want the robots on the screen to be Cybermen. The cyborg creatures from Doctor Who. Though later incarnations of them just look more like regular robots. But the thing is, as much as I like Doctor Who and I like the Cybermen, the things on the screen in Berserk don't really look like Cybermen at all. They look like, actually, Cylons. The 1970s Battlestar Galactica Cylons. Not the ones from the modern... Uh, Battlestar series, which I never watched, although I am told that it was awesome. But I do know enough about it to know that the Cylons in that show don't look like the Cylons in Berserk. I'm also tempted to point out, because I am a Doctor Who fan, that the little pink dude on the screen, who fights, gets zapped to death, comes out to life, and does it all over again, over and over, with seemingly no end, trapped in a prison, with n all by himself, that sounds an awful lot like Doctor Who spoiler coming. The Doctor's fate in Heaven Sent thus completes the obligatory Doctor Who time corner for this week. So why, in the year 3200, do humans need to go to this apparently awful planet? Was Maisie on the only planet they could get to? Where did it come from? Surely by the year 3200, our space travel skills are pretty good, and Mazion, not one of the eight planets in our solar system, so we couldn't find another planet out there to go to? And if not, where do the other planets go? And then once we get there, what's the deal with the Automazian? Are these robots just wandering around that by themselves on the planet? Did they already kill off all the humanoid, or you know, at least living beings that created them? Were they, you know, they organically grow themselves, you know, in the ground like potatoes or something? Are they alone on the planet? I think I asked that already, but it bears asking again. Are they just sitting around waiting for some dumb human to show up so they could kill him? And what's the deal with Evil Otto? He's just a big pink smiling head. And why is it a big pink smiling head that's off its meds? 
Why is he so crazy? Is Evil Otto related to Crazy Otto, the predecessor to Pac-Man? What does any of this have to do with anything? Why am I rambling? Where are my keys? Why are my pants on backwards? Who are you? Anyway, there's a lot of questions surrounding this story. And you know what that means. It's time to break out the five elements of a plot. Oh, I know you're all a quiver. The five elements of a plot are introduction or exposition. That's where you kind of get the setup for the story and whatever background you need to go forward in the story. The rising action, where events are starting to unfold. The climax, which is kind of like the peak of the story, where the big, um, not the inciting incident, the, the, big, um, the big turning point occurs. Followed by the falling action, as the ramifications of that climax are felt. And then finally the resolution, or denouement, which is basically the end of the story, how everything gets wrapped up. So, Atari was nice enough this time to give us a little clue what our story is, uh, which they don't often do, so we appreciate it when it happens. Right? We, we know we're in the year 3200. Or, I'm sorry. We know that the astro date is 3200. It might be one of those weird calendars that isn't like the Gregorian calendar that we use on Earth, so maybe... The year, the astro date 3200 really just means, you know, a week from Tuesday or something. But at any rate, that's what we're told the date is. We know that we're human. We know that we have space travel. We're going to planet Mazion, and it's inhabited by robots called Automazions that like to kill things. And we're a prisoner. We know that. So that's actually quite a bit more than Atari usually gives us. So I thought what I would do with the story this week is to kind of try to fill in some of the holes. So here's how I think basically the story starts. Here's the introduction to the story. Sid insisted we could terraform Mazion. The geological surveys were clear that this was a topography nothing like we'd experienced before, but we were up for the challenge. The anthropological surveys were inconclusive? The anthropologists kept coming back as charcoal briquettes. The report sucked, but the barbecue was delicious. Sid was determined to go. The Automazions will throw flowers at us, he said. I pointed out to him the ground survey that showed just rocks and electrified mazes. There was no dirt that I could see to grow crops. There was no water source. It was basically just a bunch of, like I said, electric mazes. So they liked laser tag. Big deal, Sid said. And he was our commander. Note that I said he was our commander, and what he said goes, or went, or something. So we launched. Alright, so that's the setup for my take on the Berserk story. Now we come to the plot sort of getting into motion with the rising action. We were still nine parsecs from the planet when the turbulence started. I managed to land her, but it was rough. The ship was a wreck. Just as well, they'd never be able to get all that barf out of the carpet in the cockpit. Byers and Langley died in the crash. Frohickey bought it when he, Sid, and I trawled out of the wreck, and those robots, those Automazions, were waiting right there to ambush us when we came out. Did they cause us to crash? Did they create the turbulence? Why? Why, I say, why? This is where I wander off from my Shakespearean despair moment, and then I come back.
Sid and I were captured. Some nice planet you picked, Sid. Also, that apple turnover recipe you gave me last week sucked. Sid thought he was a great baiter, but his crust was never flaky. Sid tried to run from the Automazians. The robots vaporized him right there in front of me. Who's the baker now, Sid? Huh? Who's the baker now? So, story goes on like this for a while. I get captured. I'm the last human in this crew. Maybe I'm the last human in the universe. So now we're approaching the pivotal turning point climax. Everything we've been building up to. I am a prisoner in a death maze. I don't know how or why I got here. I don't know if this is just a straight up prison for lawbreakers or if this is some sort of prolonged execution. Maybe I'm a gladiator in a robot coliseum. All I really know is the only way out of this place is through it. I get pretty far, I do okay. Many levels, I make it through many levels, more and more robots are gunned down by my laser. I can do this. I will bake again. Once I think that I've cleared the last maze, killed my last robot, I stop to take a rest. Or a rest. This is the falling action, by the way. I got tired. I don't know. Cocky, maybe. Careless. I died, and they brought me back. I died again, and they brought me back a few more times. I get shot. I'm fried. Next thing I know, I'm in another maze with another laser in my hand. I don't know why they keep doing it. Cruelty? Kindness? For sport? Is there something I'm supposed to do? Maybe they thought humans work like robots. Just plug in a new battery and go. But eventually, the batteries wear out. And there's not a Walgreens or a CVS for thousands of light years to pick up more. So then, we stagger into the final maze, which might as well have a blinking sign over it called Resolution or Denouement. I cleared a maze and everything just stopped. I stopped running and caught my breath for once. I had a chance to reach Roop. But just when I thought I was safe, there's that evil Otto. I shoot, but my laser doesn't affect him. That pink turd just keeps smiling and bouncing toward me. There's nowhere to run this time. Just my luck. The thing that's going to do me in has a big, dumb, stupid face like Sid. Well, might as well get it over with. You hear a... F you see a fade to black, and just off screen, you hear the zap, zap, zap of my final moments. But then I get reanimated for the sequel, so it's all good. <laughs> And that's our show. But before we go, the Electrified Maze didn't stop Bill Kendrick from the XCGS podcast from sneaking in to tell us about the Atari party happening this summer in California. So here's Bill. Hey, Bill. It's Bill Kendrick from the XCGS Cart by Cart podcast. I want to let you and your listeners know that I'm hosting my 8th annual Atari party this summer out here in Davis, California. That's near Sacramento and not far from the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley. It's free and will undoubtedly have at least one Atari 2600 set up. It's a one-day event on Saturday, July 30th. Visit newbreedsoftware.com slash Atari Party for more info. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Thanks also to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Take a Chance, Reformat, and Pinball Spring. 
You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, Google Play, Music, Stitcher, and many other podcatchers. Do please leave a review wherever they offer you that opportunity, particularly iTunes. It helps the show move up in the rankings, makes it easier for other people to find, and gosh darn it, it makes me feel good. Plus, you do not want to defy Evil Otto, and he commands it. If you don't leave me a review, he will bounce into your dreams every single night. Email me your questions, comments, and tips for the best restaurants on Mazion to ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at ataribytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can support the show on our Patreon page, or by shopping for cool stuff on our Zazzle.com store, AB underscore pod underscore store. And don't forget your homework for this week. Tweet relentlessly at Atari uh, to tell them to let me write the screenplays for Centipede and Missile Command. And also don't forget my other podcast, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, dedicated to the Peanuts Gang in all its animated glory. Please check that out too and tell your friends. Because, believe it or not, even though they're really cool people like both Atari and Charlie Brown, there are some people who like just Atari and some people who like just Charlie Brown. And the just Charlie Brown people might not be listening to Atari Bytes. I know, it's shocking. But you need to find those people and say, look, I know you don't like Atari, crazy as that is, but you do like Charlie Brown, and this Atari dude also has a Charlie Brown podcast, and you need to listen to that. So that's your early piece of homework this week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.